Hey, everyone. Welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is Wendy Zomner, the co-founder and chief creative officer of Urban Decay. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Me too. I feel like I've grown up with you, so I can't wait to dive into when you started, what gave you the idea. So let's go back to the beginnings. It's a long time ago. (laughs) I know. Someone last night to me, I was on a clubhouse, said, overnight success in 20 years. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's that seems to be the theme on Clubhouse is people wondering how you did it so quickly. And you're like, oh, no, it wasn't fast at all. It was a long, slow journey. Yes. So did you always have a love of makeup? Like as a kid, was it something you did? And like my daughter, it's all she wants to do. And so maybe I'll have her go work with you later on. But where did where did your love of makeup first start? Well, I grew up in Texas, so it was just always around me. Big hair and makeup. And I always loved it. I remember being like digging through my mom's makeup drawer when I was a kid. And I still remember like the smell of the lipstick and watching her put her makeup on in the morning. And she had some great makeup. She didn't even have a good makeup drawer compared to some of my friends' moms. But it was really fun to play in that drawer. And when I was 13 for Christmas, I got one of those giant blockbuster makeup sets for Christmas And I remember pulling pictures out of magazines and trying to recreate those looks on my 13-year-old face with that giant, you know, kind of probably cheap blockbuster set. But it was like my most favorite gift I ever received. I was so excited when I got it and I used it all the time. And when I was in eighth grade, I even got sent home for wearing too much makeup to school, which was pretty hard to do in Texas. So yes, I always loved makeup. I remember I wanted a caboodle and my mom wouldn't buy me one because they were too expensive. So she bought me the knockoff and that always felt horrible. I don't know if you had those when you were growing up. No, I didn't have a caboodle, but yes, I loved like makeup kits and bags and the same exact thing. But yes, my mom was also like, I'll just buy the knockoff kind of mom. And, and it wasn't, it was never right. No, never. So then, um, after school, what happened? Like, how did you, get started in the, in the world? Like, obviously it was a passion of yours, but what sort of are the steps you took to start it? It was a little unconscious for me. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad worked for a big, you know, multinational company. And, but he, I always remember him wanting to start, like he loved racquetball. And I always remember him talking about wanting to start a racquetball club. And this was his dream. And he never really fulfilled that dream. So I always kind of knew in the back of my head, I wanted to start my own business. Um, I didn't know what it would be. And, you know, I found myself working for a big multinational advertising agency. And I was pretty good at it, you know, but I didn't love, love all of that, this sort of, you know, the layers upon layers. I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And I moved out to California for a, a different job and a boyfriend. And I ended up through a friend of a friend meeting someone in San Francisco named Sandy Lerner. And Sandy had been the founder of Cisco Systems. So the ultimate female entrepreneur, the ultimate superwoman. And she wanted to start a makeup company. And it it was, I had been searching for something. I was going to quit my job and I was going to teach scuba diving. And I had all these freelance writing assignments I had gotten an offer from a roller hockey company to come run their marketing and be in on the ground floor. And it seemed kind of entrepreneurial. 
And I was just poking around and then I happened to meet Sandy and she had this idea. And you know, what was amazing was this is like such a great example of women bringing each other along in the world was I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that you could start a company on your own like that and challenge like a makeup company that you could challenge one of those big companies because you have to think back if you're listening to this and you're younger you're gonna think oh there's always been all these indie brands out there well no it was just like big conglomerate corporations that had different brands and it wasn't anything it was like a big giant fortress and sandy having broken down those barriers in tech just looked at beauty and she was like well you know, I want to start a beauty company because there's just not enough color out there for me. And I was feeling the exact same way. It was like we were fated to meet. And I was just like, beauty's so boring. It's such a bummer. And I meet her and I realize, oh my God, this can be done. Like she gave me all the tools, like she paid it forward to give me the tools to be able to believe I could challenge a giant industry. And so together we we launched this brand. She was the impetus behind it. And then I was sort of the creative force creating all of the packaging and working with her on the colors. But that was really the idea. That's where it came from. So I'd love to go back to the early years, what that was like when you felt like you were taking on, you know, the big corporates where it only existed. How did you break through and stand apart from these brands that seemingly have infinite amounts of cash and awareness and power? Well, the way we did it was I you just have to be resourceful and I think it's the same way today. You have to really just get grassroots and you have to work super hard. I basically went through magazines and you know, we don't have a lot of those left anymore, but there used to be the masthead and it would list who the beauty staff was. And I would literally like get on the phone and call the magazine and just start asking for people on the phone until I got an appointment. And you know, I just decided to make really interesting press kits. And I went to the hardware store and made them out of like kooky hardware store supplies. And people would get my press kits because they were so weird, they would call me back. And so I got on a plane and went to New York and just set up a bunch of desk sides on my own without a PR firm and just started calling on people and showing them, you know, what I had. And then from a retail standpoint, I, I kind of did the same thing, just really got, you have to get grindy and resourceful. And I remember I was, you know, working in my apartment on shades and packaging and my boyfriend's friend called me and he was a swimsuit rep and he was traveling down from San Luis Obispo and he needed to meet with some buyers, but he had surfed along the way. So he needed to take a shower and he was like, can I just stop by and use your shower? And I was like, Sure. And he was calling on Nordstrom and I remember he left his buyer list, like, you know, kind of all his paperwork sitting on my kitchen table. And I just like copied all the numbers of his buyer list. I was like, I had no contacts at retailers. So I just started calling all the swimsuit buyers and asking for the name of the cosmetics buyers and they gave them to me. And so I started calling cosmetics buyers and getting appointments and booking orders (laughs) So it was just all about being really, really, really resourceful in any way I could. And, you know, I started calling recording studios. I read that like some, you know, singer from a band called Garbage that I loved was recording an album in Minneapolis. And so I just started, I went and called, started calling studios in Minneapolis until I tracked her down and got her on the phone. It's just, I was just tenacious. I just wouldn't let go. And that's kind of how I did it. 
I think it's really important that we focus on all those things because I, I started smiling, although you can't see it when you said you would call up the mastheads because I did the same thing. And, and again, you can't do that, but there are versions of what you can do today that exist to replicate that. Um, that I think sometimes people think they need a lot of money to get started or they have to know all the contacts or they have to have the most expensive PR firm to start. And so much of that is just the creativity that you get and have to have when you don't have any money. Yeah. And just if you can't hire someone to do it for you, then you just have to do it yourself. A hundred percent. What was that moment for you where you felt like you had success? And I, and I say this because success is different for everybody. My first moment of success was I don't have to call Chase Bank and see if I have enough money to eat out tonight. That was like when I first felt successful. But what about you? I think that your definition of success is probably a better one than mine, but mine was definitely more product driven. And I feel like I felt it when we launched the Alice in Wonderland palette and it sold out from the back stock room before it ever landed on the floor. Like it was such a big hit. And then we started seeing it on eBay for like $300 And I think that's all I ever really wanted was to be creative and for other people to like it and appreciate it and think it was also good. So I think that's why that was my definition of success. And how did you market that, that it sold out even before it hit shelves? It was a collaboration with Alice in Wonderland, with with the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland uh, from in 2010. And there was a lot of hype around the movie, but there was also a lot of hype around the palette when it came before it ever came out. And people were going into the store and just going crazy and just wanting to have it. And it was just one of those things that was a viral sensation that people were talking about without even having to do a lot of PR on it. I love those days. <laughs> yeah, I, those, are, those are good days when you wake those up. The, like Those are good days. Those are great days. Okay. So I want to talk about sales because clearly you have either a knack or a skill for sales. You know, one of the things I read about you is that within 24 hours of getting in touch with a buyer at Nordstrom, you had your first major order. And I'm sure people will say, well, how did you do that? What was that magic that made this person reply to you and then give you an order when they might not have, you know, when they've only been used to ordering much bigger brands at the time. Right. Well, I, I was lucky in that I was meeting with a buyer who I think had the right perspective, right? So I was in the right place at the right time. I was meeting with the right first person that answered my call and she liked this whole idea. They had brought Mac in she was loving this idea of these like indie different brands. And so it was, you know, it was the right moment for her. But also she, you know, when I called her, she said, Hey, you know, I'm available today or tomorrow. And she was in San Diego. And so that's, a, that was quite a, you know, two hour drive for me, but I'm available today or tomorrow. And then I'm out for a, at least a couple of weeks. And I got to tell you, my product presentation probably wasn't quite ready. It wasn't what I deemed perfect, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to go with good enough and I'm going to get my tail down there and I'm going to present this to her. And so I think that that's one thing people need to know is that sometimes, you know, you can try to strive for perfection, 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 but sometimes you just got to go. You just got to like dive in and go. 
And that's what I did with, um, with this Nordstrom buyer. And then when I got there, you know, I had a passion for what I was doing. I believed in it and I had good pitching skills from my previous job at an ad agency of like presentations and selling the client. And so the other lesson to me in all of this was, is that even if you're in a job right now that maybe isn't what you want to do, it's maybe you don't feel like it's even leading towards what you want to do, figure out what are the things in that job that are skills that you could use for something else later. And that's exactly what I did. I had all these great pitching and presentation skills from my ad agency days that, you know, I didn't love, but they served me well later. It's so important. You know, I talk about that in my book a lot about finding your passion. And, you know, it might not be that you love your day job, but how can you find something within it, like you said, that trains you for the future or gives you skills, you know, your need? I mean, I hated shipping out products for this designer that I worked for, but it taught me how to ship a product, you know, which is bare bare bones uh, table stakes for launching your own company. Um, So I love that you say that. I feel like we have very similar experiences in our our beginnings. Could have done a caboodle together. We should have. It's not too late, Wendy. We can still do a caboodle. (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So how far along in your journey did you decide to sell the company? And what did that mean for you? What did it change about how you approach business? Because I think there's a lot of people that fantasize of, and I'm guilty of it, when I just sell my company, then it'll just be so easy. It's different. It's when you sell your company, you have to remember, and and people who worked with me had a hard time with this, but you have to remember that they wrote you a check and you cashed it. And now it's not your baby anymore, right? Fortunately, you know, working with L'Oreal, they want my opinion and they want me to be involved. But there is a degree of letting go that is not easy. And it feels really awful. It feels like you abandon your child sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. that is hard. We got to that point because... At a certain point, you know, we were doing great in the U.S. and we had an office in the U.K. We had an office in France and just having those two offices were really draining on our resources, our human resources. It's a lot of work. And we really felt like we wanted to, the next step for Urban Decay was to be a global brand. And to do that, we had to have 
a global partner. And so that was why we decided now's the right time to sell. And we had the right momentum to be able to take this into a lot of other countries around the world. There seems to be a lot of traction for it in other places. And so we really wanted to grow the brand. That was the ambition. And so that was why we made the decision to go ahead and sell to a strategic company that could do that for us. But it is it is a transition and there's highs and lows with it. And I think it's a journey and a ride, just like the entrepreneurship ride. The harder piece of it is you don't feel as in control, but there's financial security. So those are your trade-offs and you just have to decide when the right time to make that trade-off is. So how many years into having, having started Urban Decay did you sell? Let's see, 16 years. Wow. That's incredible that you've held on to it so long. And I, and I think... It's just unfortunate. I see all these startups, you know, who want to sell right out the gate, you know, who want to sell before they even have a product or, or a service market fit. And, and I think there's so much, you know, we didn't sell for seven years and we only sold a portion of the company. But I feel like having that time with your company and getting to know it, I think is, is incredibly key, especially for longevity. I do too. I think if you have a point of view and there's, something different about your brand, which is probably what made you successful in the beginning. The brand needs you as the founder to nurture it for a while. And I think it needs a complete and total focus on its mission. And I, I will tell you that, you know, when you get bought by a bigger company, a strategic, there's definitely the focus, other people have different priorities. So your focus does tend to not be as pointed on the mission And so I think it's important that there's a great foundation for the brand because you will, you will get off track a little bit when other people get involved. Yeah, for sure. So now we're in the true age of, I think, over the top beauty, there's indie brands popping up left and right. TikTok has a, you know, as well as all the other forms of creativity has really spurred, I feel like an extra re-emphasis on beauty. How do you stay relevant? How do you stay on the pulse? We always talk about, you know, there's always going to be new brands coming and we, that makes us have to be that much smarter, creative, et cetera. So where do you find that creativity and how do you stay on the pulse of what's happening and, and in the customer space when now so much is thrown at her? Yeah, it's definitely a different world than when I started. When I started, the barriers to entry were just the fortress, right, of the big, you know, multinational beauty company and not being able to really break into retailers. But and I like to think that I was the person that like, cracked that wall for all those beauty brands, those indie beauty brands to have a chance and for the industry to really change. So but I but I think it is extra hard today as a brand that's been around for a while. And The good thing about Urban is from the beginning, we've always said that we're about constant evolution. We're always about changing. We're not afraid to change our logo. We're not afraid to change our graphic design look. We've always been purple, but we've always, we continually slightly change that shade of purple to make it more relevant. So I think being open-minded to change is really important in this day and age because it is really hard and there is a lot of noise out there, but we have great retail partners and 
we have a really innovative marketing team. And so we're just continuing to push the envelope and we have great, you know, great formulas. And so I think people will eventually, you know, they may try a piece here or there. And I think that's kind of fun. That was always my vision was that, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, your makeup bag was filled with only one brand, you know, that people would experiment and have fun and beauty should be about fun, but that they always come back to, you know, some of their favorites at Urban or try something new from us because we've always, you know, provided them with great products and lots of innovation. And I think that's, that's what we're going to be successful with. How would you say you spend your time differently now than when you were doing every single hat? Take me through like a typical work day or, you know, I think we all know what you used to do. There used to be those, those Friday nights. I always laugh. Like we would, uh, when the warehouse and the office were all together and, uh, you know, as soon as, you know, Johnny Cash ring a fire went on, it meant that we needed to like go downstairs and pack boxes on a Friday night. So I've definitely done everything. Um, my role now is definitely more focused on, you know, inspiring the team, being a founder, consulting on all the products and formulations, and just really being there for the team. It's a much different role, but I do still manage to get my hands really dirty in the product side. So even though, you know, we have a whole product development team and, you know, all of these great resources from L'Oreal for that um, in terms of, you know, where to get things made and resources. I still love to be involved in the product piece and really enjoy that. What's next for you and Urban Decay? Do you have anything planned or cooking that you can share with us? Well, we've got always have a new naked palette cooking. That seems to be something our customers really want. And we have a lot of fun coming up with new concepts for that palette. You know, it really did kind of change everything in the palette world. So that's always a fun one. Like, how do we surprise people with that? When they know there's a naked coming, it could be so boring, ho-hum. But I think there's always a new one coming and they should look out for what's next because it's really going to be a fun one. I love that it's a naked palette. I'm very much into nudes. Well, there's always a new spin on it. So Awesome. So if you had to leave uh, my listeners with a great piece of advice that you were either given or learned the hard way or pieces of advice that you want to share, what would they be? I have a couple pieces of advice. My, my first one would be something that I touched on earlier, which is if you are a creative person and you want to start a business, you absolutely must take care of the business side. I think I didn't do that enough in the beginning with Urban. I would encourage you to, you know, have a, have someone who's really working with you closely on finance and operations. I kind of believe that if I just made great product, you know, it would sell itself and everything would be okay. But that is not the case. You need a great sales team. You need great, you know, operational help. So make sure you are getting that because if you're focused on the creative, you may not be able to do all of that yourself. My second piece of advice is to remember that it's all about balance. And the thing about balance is that it's not a static state, right? It's a super dynamic state. So you have to always be constantly doing micro adjustments to stay in balance. And when you're an entrepreneur, it's really easy to get out of balance. And it's good to have people in your life who love you and that you trust who can call you out when you're getting out of balance. So um, listen to those people. 
And the last piece of advice I give is just remember that there's only so much bandwidth of you. And so you can't be afraid to delegate tasks and responsibility. And I'd encourage you to have great people around you so that you can do that. I think that's so valuable and uh, and important because I think people can get so disheartened by the idea that balance is easily achieved or that it's inherent or it should be this way when frankly, you know, women or men have, have never had balance. So I love, I love how you view that. So last question, what is something we'd be surprised to know about you? Oh, probably be surprised to know that I'm a knitter. Wow. Yeah. I like to knit. I just went snowboarding in Alaska. That's kind of surprising. People don't know that. I didn't even know you could snowboard in Alaska. So there. (laughs) Snowboard in Alaska. It was a crazy, amazing trip. And I've been diving with sharks. So I like some home homebody things and some adventurous things. Wow. Please um, expand on the diving with sharks because I I couldn't be more scared of sharks. So I need to hear more about this. Oh, well, so... There's usually there's places um, where sharks do like to hang out, and a lot of times dive operations know where those spots are, and they'll take you there and drop you down. And the sharks hear the boat coming, so they know there's food. It's usually a, a feeding kind of situation, and you can generally kind of just sit on the bottom and you know watch them watch the sharks feed. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. My next my next goal is to do the cage one with the great white. I really want to see that, but I don't know. I've still got to get my nerve up for that. Oof, man, that is just, okay. Well, I can't wait to hear when you've done that. Well, because you that may is, remember that is... the beginning, I said, I was thinking about quitting my job to do freelance writing and teach scuba diving. So <laughs> true. Well, thank you so much. Where can people follow you, support you? And of course, everyone knows where to get Urban Decay, but is there anywhere you want to add? I'm just at UD Wendy on Instagram. I keep it pretty simple. Um, I don't have a lot of lot of social media accounts. So yeah, follow me there. I do lots of makeup looks and pull kooky things out of my life. And hopefully it's an enjoyable feed. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. It was really fun to be here today. You asked great questions. It was really fun to talk to you. Oh, good. Nice to talk to you too. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Macy's, Scentbirds, and Birchboxes, as well as our site.